0: Very hospitable. I think um, Patrick has mentioned my name for about what ten times. Few years back, I went to Bali, and here's a video that I would like to show you. Is the sound working? No, no sound. But just, just imagine. That's uh, in a temple Where the Balinese were worshipping The gods The sprinkling of holy water they queuing for holy water This is a big pond Like a swimming pool You can see all these heads They were actually queuing up it's a long, long, long line. If the audio is on, you could hear all these voices, people shouting, and yeah, it's the marketplace. You can see people holding up incenses. That's about it. Now, how do you feel when you're watching this? I was there holding the camera, and my jaw dropped. Here's a big group of Balinese gathering in a public temple. They have three types of temple: they have public temple, local temple, village temple. Public temple is people like us who can go to on a religious festival. You could see in the video that people were queuing up for. To, to, to want to take home this holy water, they even brought along water um, bottles or plastic bags to bring home this water so that every morning for the rest of the year they could sprinkle this water around the house compound to keep evil away from them. And the devout worshippers, they knew before the altar offering presents to their gods. Offerings were made up of flowers, biscuits, food, incense, and so on. But there's something very, very strange There's no god on the altar It's empty There's a seat, there's a throne there, but no one is up there Who are they offering it to? Well, in the passage today, Paul faces something very similar in Athens At the time of Paul's visit, Athens was several centuries passes one time It was no longer an important political state But rather, Corinth was the commercial and political center of Greece. But nevertheless, Athens was still the university center of the world. Well, this could be an overstatement, but you get what I mean. All the big names of philosophy, in in philosophy, people like Socrates, Plato, Athens was the native city for them, and Athens was the adopted home for people like Aristotle, Epicurus, Sophocles, Euripides, and Zeno—not that I know all of them before I read this sermon—but it sounds good, certainly, to, to just mention all these names in one go. Athens was not only the philosophical center of the world, but, but it's a center of art, of beauty, of drama, of poetry, of knowledge. In short, Athens is a cultural marketplace. If you walk along in Athens, you can hear people discussing and sharing ideas, new religious thoughts. This is not uncommon to them. Point one. Last week we have seen how, because of an uproar in Berea, some brothers escorted Paul to Athens. Paul sent goes back to Silas and Timothy asking them to come to him as soon as possible and they were all to meet in Athens and from there they will continue their missionary journey so verse 16 we have Paul waiting for his fellow workers 16 When Paul was waiting for them in Athens his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols so he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons, God as the Greeks and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicureans and Stoic philosophers also converse with him. Now Paul did what most stories would do when they go to Eton. He went sightseeing. But he was greatly distra- di- di- distressed when he sees that the city was full of idols, according to the Greek writer Plutarch. There were 20,000 statues of God in Athens, and according to Petronius, one of the ancient Roman historians, he said, it was easier to find a God in Athens than a man. The city was full of idols. Now Paul's visit to Athens was not planned, but was the result of the sudden exclusion from Macedonia. But as someone who was so passionate about giving glory to the one true God, Paul could not remain silent for long. This tells us that Paul's spirit was moved when he saw this. He was provoked. There was a deep stirring of jealousy for the name of God. Paul couldn't tahan anymore. As he saw the Athenians so deprived as to be giving glory and honour to mute idols glory and honor which belongs to the one true God. He just can't take it anymore. So Paul reasoned with the Jews, Paul says, Luke says, and the God-fearing Greeks in the synagogue. As in his previous campaign, Paul continued to preach to the Jews first wherever possible. And we know that these Jews and the Greeks who were following Judaism opposed to idolatry of the city, but they could not do much to prevent it. They were powerless to deliver the city from idolatry because they were focusing too much on their own religious experience. To this religious person, Paul preached the gospel but with seemingly little effect. So Paul moves on. He moves on to the marketplace to preach to those who happen to be there, on the screen. Now in the Greek world in times, the marketplace is the hub of an urban life A center for commerce and trade, and for sharing and, 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 and trading of new ideas, a changing of new ideas For the first time we are told that Paul ran there on a daily basis Now can you imagine the passion Paul has for the Gospel? How painful it must have been for Paul to see this cloud of idolatry hanging over the city of Athens. Sometimes I this wish I can hear Paul, he sees people in terms of their relationship with God. This is for Paul, that is what matters. He doesn't need to organize a, a mission shift to preach the gospel, and he certainly does not need to organize a special evangelistic Sunday to be inviting his friends so that he can explain the gospel to them. For him, every day is evangelistic. The text you took to K L I A, the lunch you had with your colleague, the cleaner and the security guy, you never bother saying hi to, the person sitting next to you in the L R T the clients and the suppliers he meet each day. Paul sees them as evangelistic opportunity. What have we? Some of the representatives of the two major school of philosophies at that time, also conversed with him. Verse 18. Who are they? The Epicureans and the Stoics. The Epicureans, they were ages. They denied God existence They deny life after death and hence the resurrection Their motto is Eat, drink and be married For tomorrow we die They are what we call today Some familiar, they are what we call today The existentialists People who live For the pleasure of this moment For tomorrow we die The stories, on the other hand, were the opposites; they were pantheists. That is, they believe that everything is God, and that God is not transcendent. God does not exist as a separate entity, but God is in every material thing: in the chain, the tree, in the rock. God is everywhere. They believed in moderation in life, and they took pride on their ability to take whatever came their way. They suppressed passion. Excitement, emotions, apathy, apathy was the highest virtue of their lives. No wonder when Paul was preaching, some who were there said, verse 18, What does this Bible wish to say? others said to him. Let's, let's look at the, the Bible together. Others said to him, verse 18, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities. Because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the area of saying, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? For it brings some strange things to our ears, and we wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now, all the Achaemenians and the following us who we were will spend their time in nothing except telling and sharing something new. Now at this part of time it's important to see that Paul's solution for idolatry and ignorance of pagan worship is to preach Jesus and the resurrection. He thinks that that's what they need most. Some accuse Paul of being a battler literally means seed packers. They saw Paul as one of those little boys in the marketplace, going around picking up fragments of ideas from different people and making them into an idea and timid, that that is his own idea to impress them. Some saw that Paul was preaching two foreign gods. Paul was preaching Jesus and the God of resurrection. The stories who believe that God is in everything is very happy. We can suppose. They are very happy because they can add on two new gods, two new Pokemons into their collections. Have you heard of Pokemons? Well, that shows how young we are. I've not heard of Pokemons, but it's in that video. Now, Pokemons, they are small cartoon characters from Japan. Each Pokemon has its own distinctive power. When you don't need them, you keep them in a capsule or something and you put them in a pocket. That's why it's it's called Pocket Monster, Pokemon. And when you need them, you release them from the capsule and they will perform miracles to do your desire. So we well, could imagine these Athenians; they were certainly very happy. Wow, there are two more new Pokemons on my list. Why I don't mind having two more new Pokémon alongside with the God of Fire, the God of Wars, the God of Reason, and so on. So they brought Paul, they took hold of Paul to the Aeropagus to discover the precise meaning of what he was saying. Elopagus could refer to a 377 foot high rocky mountain, a hill, immediately northwest of the city of Acropolis. The rocky Gate is a hill, if you can see. I would say that this is a place that you must visit if you go to Aten. Because when you are standing on top of the hill, yes, very smart, on top of the hill, you could get a bird's eye view of the whole city. That's a tourist hotspot, But Heropagus could also be the name given to a court of judges. And I believe this is the case. This assumption seems very reasonable to me. Since Paul was not only addressing the philosophers, but he was also addressing the official body who has authority over the city of Athens. Verse 34, have a look. Verse 34. But some men joined them and believed, among whom also were Dionysius the Areopagite. So it says, one of those people who believed, one of those people who were there, is a council member of Areopagus, the court of judges. Point two. Let's go by words. So we have here Paul, verse twenty-two. Standing in the midst of Eropagos, he said, Let's look at our Bible together, verse 22. Man of Athens, I believe that in every way you are very religious. For as I pass along and observe the objects of your worship, I found also an author with this inscription, To the unknown God. Well, therefore you worship as unknown this... I declare to you. This is a most thoughtful introduction. Paul connects with his audience, putting start by, by, by attacking their idolatry. Now he denounced them, but he continued them as far as he could. Now how would you bring that to someone with no or little knowledge of God? Paul used Greek idolatry and, 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 and Greek poetry as point of contact it is perhaps you should think how you could make use of movies, of songs, of, of TV shows to relate the Gospel to others Paul said to them Man of Athens As I have been walking about your city I noticed this one thing about you You are a very religious people at this point of time, I would imagine all these philosophers and the judges that were nodding their heads. Paul continues, and I found also dedicated to the unknown God. This is the God I want to talk about. What you worship ignorantly, I have come to declare to you. Now this is a powerful introduction, isn't it? It captures the audience's attention. It builds bridges with them It launches straight into what, what Paul wants to say It shows us the emptiness of paganism Of idol worship There are 22,000 gods in Athens And it's not even for them They even have to worship this unknown god But well, the Achaeans they have not realized that in their anxiety to want to worship all, all gods, any gods that might potentially, probably, possibly be real, they have seen effect, ignored the one true God. In their whole life, they are tirelessly trying to cover all grounds, just in case. Just in case is what they say. Well, just in case if this God doesn't work, I have an insurance. I have a backup. Brothers and sisters, idolatry is not distant from us. Maybe we are not so superstitious as to bow down to trees and rocks and, and buildings or wooden images, but we worship idols. Just like the achievements, we want to cover all grounds. Some of us will say, Yes, I'm a Christian, I know the cost of following Jesus, I know that um, our Lord has asked us to, to take up the cross and to suffer with Him, I know that Jesus has said that if He as a Master was persecuted, how much more were we as His servants? And I know that God owns all my money, my energy, my time, my property, my life, my wife, my, my whole being. But we are hesitant when it comes to giving to church. I mean, God will surely understand. How could I still afford a weekly trip to Europe if, if I have to support the church missionary fund? Oh, oh the machine would definitely be left homeless and have to live under the crossover. If I do not climb up the career stairs, you are worshiping an unknown god. You're saying that you believe in Jesus, but you put your trust in other things as well. Brothers and sisters, this is a lie that satan poses No one can serve two masters, either God or money Or money And for the sisters among us Do not, do not for the sake of your non-Christian prince charming Forgo the hope that you have in Christ Jesus. When you are tempted to do so, it's always harder for, for, for a girl than for a guy. But when you are tempted to do so, can I encourage you to talk to someone? Pray to God about it. God will hear our prayer and He will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So as Christians, we do not cover all grounds, but we stand on Christ, the solid ground. Point 2a, the creator of the universe. Paul then continues in verse four: the God who made the world and everything you being Lord of heaven and earth does not live in temples made by man. Paul begins to develop his arguments by asserting that there is only one God in this universe and this God is the creator of the world that we live in and that everything that is in it and as a matter of fact, Paul says, the creator also gives God the lordship over this universe. God is rightly so to own this universe and to rule over it because He has created it. Now it certainly seems illogical for the maker of heaven and earth who owns the world, who owns you to need you, to supply anything to Him. It's wrong for us to assume that somehow God and earth we are mutually supplying each other's need. He gave us what I need, and I give Him praise. And it's certainly very absurd if we suppose that God uses to make a dwelling place for Him, as the Creator and Lord of this universe, God cannot and need not be confined in any sacred places. To be the sustainer of life. Verse twenty-five. No, is God served by human hands as though He needed anything, since He Himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. God is not only the creator of life, but the sustainer of life. Come with me. Genesis chapter 2. This is on flipping. Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Follow me closely, I'll be going rather quickly. But God is not only the creator of life, but the sustainer of life. 2 7. We were told that Yahweh formed the man of dust from the ground, and God breathed, God breathed into his nostril the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And what did God do after that? Did he leave Adam on his own? No. Verse 8. And Yahweh planted a garden in Eden, in the, in, in the east. And God placed Adam there. Yahweh provided a pleasant environment for Adam to live in. A place where Adam could, could enjoy the goodness of life and provide relationship with his creator. And verse 9. Out of the ground. Verse 9. Out of the ground, Yahweh made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to sight and good for food. Verse 15, God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. God gave Adam a purpose of life, that is to manage his will in an orderly manner under God. And God gave Adam commandments that would keep Adam safe if he follows them. God even made a helper suitable for Adam, if you look on. Someone who would complement Adam's role in managing the will for God. And God is kind enough that through the creation of Eve and the constitution of marriage, that the lives of humankind are preserved and sustained. And even today, even today, God is sustaining our daily needs when He causes sun to rise for the good and for the evil. And sins reign to the just and the unjust, Matthew five says. But ultimately, ultimately, one Corinthians chapter one verse eight. God sustains our life in the way He keeps us as Christians. In guarding our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, He keeps us so that we may be found blameless. When Jesus returns, God is the sustainer of life. 2C, point, point 2C. Verse 26. And God made from one man every nations of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted peers and the boundaries of their dwelling place that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way toward Him and find Him. Yet, He is actually not far from each one of us. The true God is the God of history, Luke says. He made man one, as one race, originating from one source. The Greeks and at Athens did not have such a view, they think that they are somehow more superior and that all other races, we are barbarians, but Paul insists on, on the view that there is this unity in mankind because we came from one man. And every nation of mankind, Paul says, God has intervened as the director of history. He has determined where they shall live, how long they will live there, and how long a nation or an empire shall rise and then fall. But God did not decide all this without a purpose but that in hope that they might feel toward, their way toward Him and find Him Verse 27 You see, through history, God is urging man to seek for Him That is why wars break out. That is why disaster happened That is why you are where you are today is why your ancestors came from China or India or Indonesia. But all this is why you thought is because of some mining activities or some business opportunities that you end up where you are. But no. You are where you are because God wants you to seek for Him. But as people who are blind and corrupted by sin how reaching out to God will only result in in a proliferation of idolatry and self-confessed ignorance of this one true God, just like the Achaeans. You can try your best, but you do not know God. The possibility of seeking God therefore and finding Him lies in the fact that, verse 27, God is not far from each one of us. This Creator God is also the Father of all mankind. Let's bring the passage together, verse 28. For in Him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own thoughts have said, we, we are indeed His offspring. Being then God's offspring, we almost think that the divine being is like gold or silver or some precious stone, and image formed by the art and imagination of man. In him we live, Luke says, pauses. In him we move. In him we have our being. We are absolutely dependent on God for life. And if you notice, Paul tactfully quoted from Eritus, of philosophy who said of Zeus, we are Zeus' offspring. But Paul appeared to quote this phrase in view of Genesis chapter 1 verse 26-27, when men and women we are created in God's image. That is why we are His offspring. We carry God's image. We are like Him. Therefore Paul 6, verse 29 If we are personal beings who are able to relate to each other in love and trust, God our Creator will not be anything less. If you, being the Creator, if you could form an idol out of gold or silver or stone, and to provide for these idols with, with food, with shelters, how much more can the Creator God provide for Himself? He does not need us, but we need Him. For in Him we live and move and have our being, Paul says. Now, appearing on the screen is another photo from Bali. I'm not quite sure whether you can see this It's an a MPV In front of the MPV uh, Was sitting and was kneeling Was kneeling a woman And was sitting a, a man there um, And on this ground There was this um, uh, Carpet or something And there were flowers just Lots of offerings um, That they Are presenting uh, To this God Well um, when I passed by this car, I, I was speechless I can sort of understand if you go to the temple and you worship But hey Bapa, Bapa means uncle Hey, what are you doing? Uh, but of course I didn't dare to say that You see, it's very easy for us to make an idol to represent God Even a vehicle can be a god to these people. But well, of course, as people living in the 21st century, our form of idolatry is more refined and sophisticated. We simply take ourselves and we project it to infinity and we worship that. If you want to build a name for yourself, you desire that three to four generations after you have passed away that people will still remember you as the engineer who have built KLCC and you are a Christian millionaire who have, who have donated so much money to the Christian, to Christian charity and you own this this Menara Shah Jalan Bukit Intan. These are not necessarily bad in itself. But when they, when they become of God, when they take away our time and energy from serving the one true God, when for the sake of an international conference or a missing church, or, when, or for the sake of meeting a project deadlines, you work overtime the and, and therefore you are late for the Bible study and thereby you disrupt the Bible study, when that happens, Whatever that takes away your attention from God is your unknowing God. Point 2 E Verse 30 The times of ignorance God overlooked. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day, only should he judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising Jesus from the dead. The motives of repentance are failure to respond appropriately to God in view of the creation and in view of the certainty of God's coming judgment. I'll say this again. The motives for repentance are failure to respond appropriately to God in view of the creation and the certainty of God's coming judgment. Now the times of ignorance got overlooked in the past. Did it you too they to have worshipped the unknown God, they had made mute idols to represent the, the true and the living God. God could have suppressed it, He could have brought retribution towards them, but God overlooked it. Before the coming of Jesus the Christ, God has overlooked their sins. But now, now Jesus came, He lived a sinless life, He suffered and died in our place to take away our punishment, and he was raised from the dead, and he is now sitting at God's right hand, reigning the whole universe in power, and God has fixed one day where Jesus, the judge, will come back to judge the living and the dead in righteousness. And each one of us, we are to be accountable to what we have done Whether in public, whether in secrecy That is why God says Repent Turn around You need to go the other direction If you unknown God or the, or the idols you are worshiping are taking away your attention from God, you need to do something about it. You need to stop. You need to turn around. Ask for forgiveness. God has loves us so much when his son died for us He wants us to seek him God has given assurance about the second coming of Jesus by raising Jesus from the dead We know that the second coming is inevitable because God has raised Jesus from his tomb two thousand years ago Resurrection is fundamental to the Gospel and Christianity. It's interesting to see how Paul returns to Jesus and the Resurrection at the very climax of his speech. This is his take home message for the Athenians, And of course, the mention of the Resurrection from the dead provoked the hearers to respond. Verse 32 Now when they heard of the resurrection from the dead, some mocked, but others said, We will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from they least. But some men joined him and believed, among whom also were Dionysius, the Arapaic, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. The resurrection from the dead provokes a response. Some mocked, mocking is always the vast defence of pride when it feels itself attacked but has no logical defence. This is still the sign of many today, when the gospel is preached, people begin to ridicule, to make fun of it because they cannot find any logical defence. Some delayed. We will hear what you say again if we need more evidence, they said. Well, some people who say this, they are simply applying the delaying tactics uh, which many intellectuals are applying today. They like to ask hypothetical questions without really considering the need and the possibility to repent but others who say this question they are genuinely interested in Jesus and the resurrection if that is you if that is you can I encourage you to come and talk to me or to talk to any, any one of us find out more for yourself Some believed in the gospel. It says they repented and they changed the direction of worship as they come to knowledge of the one true God. One of them is Dionysius, the Epicure. He was one of the judges, an intellectual, a ruler of the city, but he turned away from worshiping idols to serve the true and living God also mentioned is a great woman named Danielus and others we do not know how many but we know that God has used this sudden exclusion from Berea to establish a small church of believers in Athens and for that we thank God let's pray Father, we are amazed by your kindness. We are sorry for you. We have all been worshippers of, of idols. We know we have not loved you with, with all our hearts, our, our soul, our mind, our strength. Forgive us, we pray for Forgive us for the sake of your Son. We thank you, Father, for that you have revealed yourself to us finally and perfectly in your Son. And through him, we know you. For he is the exact imprint of your radiant glory. Help us, Father. Help us to repent of our idolatry to turn away from our fallen sins and to live under the lordship of the one true God knowing for sure that Jesus has resurrected in his name we pray Amen Our God is indeed a loving God who really loves us and has been faithful to us. So let us not fall into idolatry and provoke Him, or if we are already there, to continue provoke Him. But let's turn to Him in prayer and ask Him to revive us, to keep us righteous in His sight, to justify us, that we will always boldly proclaim His name and give Him all the praise and worship that's due to Him. To stand as we sing our next song, Revive Us, O Lord, and may this song be a form of prayer.